they're pulling them from the top of the roof. The rescue mission to get two men out as a building collapses on Vancouver Island. All the evidence in connection with that search and seizure and questioning may be thrown out. Why Huawei executive Meng Wanzhou is now suing the Canadian government, the border agency and the RCMP. This kind of thing is not representative of the community. And the racist graffiti plastered all over a Langley Elementary School. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening. Thanks very much for joining us. We begin with breaking news tonight from Vancouver Island, the top floor of a two-story building in a small community of Errington collapsed today, sending two men to hospital. Kristen Robinson has our top story. Firefighters work carefully to rescue two men trapped on the second floor of a home under demolition. The roof uh, basically had uh, collapsed um, onto them. The pair pinned early Sunday afternoon as they worked to take apart the upper floor of the home on Steelhead Place in Arrington, a small community off Highway 4, southwest of Parksville. I was more worried about getting them out than their actual injuries. A family friend of one of the men rushed to the scene. We just got a phone call from his mom and she was upset. I don't even know what the building looked like before, but when we came, they were pulling them from the top of the roof. Both men airlifted to hospital in Victoria after fire crews from Errington and Parksville managed to free them. The roof had come down onto them, so it was spread out quite a bit, so that saved them as well. Uh, some structure between them as well, so we ended up uh, going in, stabilizing the building, and then getting in there and, and uh, getting some cribbing between the upper floor and the roof structure. The cause of the roof collapse, unclear, but fortunately, both men conscious and talking after the rescue. They got away very, uh, very well, considering the uh, having a roof dropped on them. Kristen Robinson, Global News. A significant development today in the extradition fight by Huawei CFO Meng Wanzhou. She's now launched a civil lawsuit against the Canadian government, the Canada Border Agency and the RCMP. She's alleging her rights were breached when she was detained at YVR. Our Tanya Beja has more on this. She's outside the Vancouver house where Meng is still on house arrest. Tanya? Meng Wanzhou's lawyers have upped the stakes in this case, filing a lawsuit which claims Canadian officials knowingly and deliberately violated Meng's charter rights. In a notice of claim filed in B.C. Supreme Court, Meng's legal team says border officials had an obligation to immediately arrest Meng at Vancouver International Airport following a court order. Instead, the claim alleges border officials unlawfully detained and interrogated her, seizing her computer, iPad and cell phones under the guise of a routine customs check. She was only made aware of her right to legal counsel and her right to remain silent after about three hours when she was formally arrested by the RCMP. Now, the claims have not been proven in court, but lawyers watching the file say the lawsuit could have major repercussions. All the evidence gathered may be thrown out. In addition, if the defense team can establish that CBSA brought the administration of justice into disrepute by wrongly frustrating the exercise of charter rights, the court could close down the whole show. The extradition case goes out. 
Taxpayers may also find themselves footing a large bill as Meng is seeking damages for the mental distress, anxiety and loss of liberty she alleges she suffered as a result of this detainment. The suit follows Canada's decision to allow extradition hearings against Meng to proceed. Tanya Beja, Global News. Now to a disturbing discovery at a Langley school this weekend. People living in the neighbourhood woke up to find racist and offensive graffiti scrawled on the building. Grace Key reports. People out for a stroll got an eyeful at a Langley Elementary School. Racist graffiti and hateful messages were scrawled on several sides of the building at Topham Elementary in Walnut Grove. Saturday morning I take the dogs for a walk and I came by and I see it all, all this graffiti on here. So I went, oh, that's not very nice. Neighbours believe it happened sometime late Friday night, and it appears whoever was responsible for all of this left behind at least three black markers on the school grounds. And by the looks of the writing, many believe these were drawn by some kids. It looks like there's uh, one of the teacher's names on the wall, so someone who's familiar with the school, probably pretty young based on the spelling. One, uh, maybe it's a teacher name, uh, isn't a teacher here at the school, at least not anymore. Um, I like this. <laughs> and uh, also, the previous principal is targeted as well. He's not the principal here. It hasn't been for a few years. Neighbours and parents hope this can be washed off before Monday morning when students get to school, or at the very least, used as an opportunity to have an open discussion with students. I would say this kind of thing is not representative of the community as a whole. It's a very inclusive community. You're not going to get away from people that have these feelings or want to act like this. Um, it's what we what we do about it that's, that's going to be the difference maker. RCMP have been notified of the graffiti and families here say they take pride in the diversity of their community and school system. Grace Key, Global News. Police are looking for witnesses and dash cam video in an attempt to identify four suspects in a home invasion in central Abbotsford. It happened late Saturday afternoon at a home near McClure Road and Horn Street. Police say a 54-year-old man and woman were confronted by four men wearing hoodies who forced their way inside and then used a gun to demand money and drugs. The man escaped through a back door while the woman hid in another room. The suspects ransacked the home, taking a duffel bag before stealing the man's black BMW. Now, when he did try to confront them as they fled, one suspect fired a shot. No one was hurt, but police do believe the home invasion was targeted. I just heard there was a shooting here, but I didn't know. There was just lots of barriers and there's lots of glass and lots of police around here. Big police presence. Big police presence. And I was just surprised because the glass is still here and a lot of people are driving over the glass. Unsettling, very unsettling to live this close. Now, in the wake of the SSE Lavalin controversy, an idea is being floated to separate the Office of the Attorney General and the Justice Ministry. This comes as Jody Wilson-Raybould, the former Attorney General who's at the centre of this political storm, has herself called for this separation to be studied. Wilson-Raybould held both titles at the time uh, that she alleges she faced high-level veiled threats and months of sustained pressure to interfere in the criminal prosecution of SSE Lavalin. A political scientist says it would be a good thing to explore separating the role, but adds it would not be a solution to this controversy. I think 
this is going to be one uh, uh, change that we can contemplate. I think it's important to think of other solutions. We, we've clearly run up against uh, a bit of a, an institutional uh, challenge with uh, this, this, the application of the rule of law. And so I think we're going to want to continue the search for other uh, potential changes, solutions, uh, while not losing uh, sight of the fact that this is not going to, in itself, resolve the SNC situation. That it has to play out by its own logic as well. So there's going to be different tracks to this story, and we're going to be talking about this for some time to come. In the meantime, since that explosive testimony in Ottawa on Wednesday, Wilson Raybould says that she will remain in the Liberal Party. I am um, proud to be the Member of Parliament for Vancouver Granville. I was elected as a Liberal Member of Parliament and that hasn't changed. Now, a day after a controversial homeless camp was evacuated, city staff began going through the site. Anita Place is now behind fencing. Uh, security guards are monitoring the area. Bulldozers are also on scene and crews could be seen removing items. This follows a court order that the city received to evacuate the camp after numerous fires broke out. Some of the evacuees were put up at a local shelter and support services are being offered to them. Now, the provincial housing minister says... She She's working to help solve the homelessness crisis, but is frustrated by multiple roadblocks, including from the city. It's really about you know, moving forward on projects that we have suggested and making sure that it works for the people who are in, in the camps who find themselves without a place to go, without safe accommodation, without a place to lay your head at, at night. We've come forward with a number of suggestions over the last number of months, and we haven't. We just keep hitting roadblocks. Now, the city of Vancouver is marking a modular home milestone this afternoon. The final set of 600 temporary modular homes the province committed to uh, funding back in Van uh, funding in Vancouver officially opening this afternoon at Nora Hendricks Place on Union Street. It is named after Jimi Hendrix's grandmother, Nora, who once lived and worked in the Hogan's Alley neighbourhood. Nora Hendricks Place will recognise and honour the legacy of Strathcona's former black community, homeless black and indigenous residents will be given first priority for its 52 supportive housing units. The province provided $8.8 million for the projects and will provide funding for the Portland Hotel Society to run this whole thing. Our people were displaced from this site. I know that we call it the temporary modular house. This is not temporary nor modular for us. The Hogan's Alley Society, the black community, the city of it, we all commit as we build out this lot to make this a permanent home. We will not displace you again. I'm extremely proud to stand and represent the city to say not only are we committed to making sure that we call it what it is, but we also try to make reparations for the damage of the past. Now, nearly a week after a frightening chairlift accident and rescue on Grouse Mountain, we're now hearing about another similar frightening incident. This time it was at a ski hill in the Fraser Valley. A skier on a chairlift at Sasquatch Resort took a photograph of a boy dangling between 20 
and 25 feet above the ground. It happened back on January 26. The lift was stopped and the ski patrol arrived minutes later. He kicked the skis off, let go and was caught by ski patrollers. Now, it is believed the accident happened when the boy lost his poles while loading. He got then got twisted and slipped out. Uh, the boy wasn't hurt. The resort says it was a very rare incident and they are now conducting an internal investigation, but they don't know the cause. Welcome back. Now, new statistics show that the number of cannabis confiscations at the Canadian border jumped more than 60% year over year in the first six weeks after pot was legalized. The Canada Border Services Agency believes the increase is due to the fact it started asking people last fall whether they were bringing marijuana into the country. There were 329 cases of cannabis either being seized or turned over to border offices between October 17th to November 30th of last year. That compares to 204 confiscations in the same period of 2017. It is now legal, of course, for adults in Canada to possess and share up to 30 grams of legal cannabis, but taking pot across Canada's international borders is still illegal. It is the talk of the shoe shop this weekend. Did you feel or hear an earthquake last night? The 2.2 magnitude quake was centred in Salmon Arm. And while there was no damage, it certainly did rattle a lot of nerves. I just thought it was somebody, something that hit the house. A big bang rattling residence in Salmon Arm Saturday night, just after 8.30. Heard a large boom and uh, it was shocking because it just felt like the um, whole trailer moved. The whole thing just kind of shook and there was kind of some banging. At the time, residents confused about what had happened, but there was no shortage of theories. Something exploded over on 16th, um, the train derailment, um, meteor. Officials later confirming it was a 2.2 magnitude earthquake four kilometres northeast of Salmon Arm. Last thing I thought was earthquake, because I live in Salmon Arm. <laughs> I know 2.2 isn't very big, but for here it's huge. And while it's unusual to have earthquakes in BC's interior, it's not unheard of. There's a couple a year in the interior, and many of them are not felt. But this one was relatively shallow, only a kilometre underground, and that's why Salmon Arm residents heard the bang. Usually for an earthquake of this magnitude, there's not aftershocks. Sometimes you can get little doublets or triplets of earthquakes. At this point in time, it doesn't look like that's going to be the case. Earthquakes Canada is asking anyone who noticed the tremor to fill out their Did You Feel It questionnaire on their website. They archive that information and it helps them determine building codes and also how the area might respond to a future quake. Jules Knox, Global News, Salmon Arm. A landmark tree in Kerrisdale is now gone, but it is hoped the trunk from the down tree can be reused. <laughs> Yeah, the Sokoa on 41st Avenue and Vine had been sick and dying for years. That meant there were lots of concerns that it could come crashing down. Crews spent hours overnight taking down the tree piece by piece. The local business association now hoping that some of that timber uh, will be turned into something commemorative. We were able to obtain a section of the trunk that's been uh, set aside and it's being stored right now by Caresdale Lumber 
who is going to uh, let it cure and then before it's milled and based on the condition of the wood we're hoping that it'll be fashioned into hopefully something to memorialize the tree in the form of benches or a placard or something and ideally it would be displayed somewhere along the Arbutus Greenway. Wow, that would make mm. a great table, but they're not going to give it to us, I don't think. Yeah. The tree has seen a few things in its day. Right? Been yeah. That's forever. A fascination with trees. All mm. right, you've seen quite a lot of stuff today not as much in as sport. That tree. <laughs> 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 we'll get onto that in a second, but uh, weather wise today, it was another really fantastic day full of sunshine. Yeah, both days out of the weekend uh, with sunshine. Uh, temperatures have been chilly, especially for the morning and in many spots into the interior, but sunshine and the chilly temperatures, the dominant story. I look at some of the numbers right now and what we're sitting at out of the airport just above the freezing mark so it is cooling off interior areas for prince george at minus 16 and areas near the peace at minus 14 we do still have very uh, cold arctic outflow uh, we've got a few warnings that are in place and we're looking ahead to a change on the way for our work week forecast i'll have that coming up very shortly all right and um and then we've got to talk of course canucks and mm-hmm. uh, i mean vegas they I were hear in that vegas I, I hope they had a good time last well, night and i hope the they thing. had good luck at the tables <laughs> yeah because the, the hockey game didn't go so well <laughs> exactly do we know if they went out before uh, or I'm not? just going like, to see. Well, to see, they're, they're in their 20s. They make millions of dollars. No, I'm sure they stayed. <laughs> At least maybe maybe last night. The night before, I'm sure they, they had their fun. But uh, it was kind of a bit of a sobering kind of reality for the Canucks today. Vegas, very good team. Uh, made a big move at the deadline, and, and uh, they look like they can challenge again uh, going to the cup final because the Canucks were second best by a lot today in Vegas. Lost 3 nothing. If Markstrom didn't make, I want to say, five or six great saves, it could have been 8 or 9 nothing. But that's where they are right now. They're still a developing team, and, and Vegas gave them a little lesson. Welcome back. Two South Asian communities came together in Surrey this afternoon to promote peace between their homelands. A peace rally was held in Holland Park by members of the local Indian and Pakistani communities. Tensions have been high between India and Pakistan in recent weeks, including an airstrike by Indian aircraft inside Pakistan. The next day, Pakistan's military shot down two Indian warplanes in Kashmir and captured a pilot. That pilot has since been returned to India. Air Canada temporarily suspended its flights to the region. And I, I urge local uh, MPs and local our governments to uh, use their diplomatic sources and uh, send a strong message that uh, we don't want war, we want peace. I think the Prime Minister hasn't said a thing. Um, I, I, I understand the, the, foreign, the Foreign Minister said that the, the countries need to de-escalate. I think Canada at this point needs a much stronger voice on the international stage uh, in support of peace and non-violence. And I think the Prime Minister needs to stand up and make that strong statement as to what Canadian values are, that we value peace in the world. At least 14 people have died after a series of tornadoes tore through the deep south of the United States today. Cars had flipped over, homes have been knocked off their foundations after the extreme weather slammed into Alabama and Georgia this afternoon. It is believed there will be more people found under the rubble as crews search for survivors. More than 10,000 people are without power and emergency officials are still assessing the full extent of the damage. 
Today marks a somber anniversary, 14 years since four Mounties were killed near Mayerthorpe, Alberta. On March 3rd, 2005, Constables Peter Sheeman, Leo Johnston, Anthony Gordon and Brock Myrall were shot while investigating a marijuana grow operation. The tragedy is still fresh in the minds of many Canadians. The president of the Fallen Four Memorial Society say it's frustrating to see that officers are still getting injured and killed while on the job. There's anger and there's sadness and there's frustration that that people don't understand that that uh, police are out there every single day on their shifts trying to protect us, and here we have people going out and shooting them for doing their job. Biting temperatures in the city of Toronto this weekend. Temperatures are expected to dip to minus 17 degrees Celsius overnight with a wind chill of minus 24. Erica Vella reports. Some days it feels like the winter that will never end. I'm just looking for uh, the summer weather to come as soon as possible. But he's going to have to wait a little longer with the city of Toronto once again issuing an extreme cold weather alert. Extreme cold weather alerts are issued when the temperature is estimated to reach about negative 15 degrees Celsius or colder, or when the wind chill is expected to reach negative 20 degrees or colder. So far this winter season, there have been 24 days of extreme cold weather. More than half of those days happen in January. But this isn't likely to be a record year. In the 2014-2015 winter season, there were 39 days of extreme cold weather. That year, an alert was in effect for the majority of February. And while the extreme cold weather typically wraps up by mid-March, there have been cases of warnings as late as April. At the end of last year, about 18 centimeters of snow had fallen in Toronto, which Environment Canada says is less than normal. But 2019, however, was a completely different story. We've received a year's worth of snow in the last six weeks. More than 111 centimeters of snow, to be exact. That's double what we would normally see in that period. And if you look at the last five years, none of those five years in total had as much snow as we've had in January and February. But perhaps the biggest standout factor this winter season... If you look at the 60, 61 days since uh, uh, the 1st of January, there has re there only been 11 dry days. And there have also been large temperature variations. Last month, temperatures went as high as 13 degrees and as low as negative 19 degrees. It was both melting during the day and freezing at night. So whatever was sitting there in terms of water uh, was frozen. So we had a lot of more slipping and sliding and treachery. And if you're looking for some sweet relief from all the cold, you've got to be patient. With the next thaw expected to come mid-March. Erica Vela, Global News. An Oregon man is calling himself lucky to be alive after he ended up stranded in his vehicle in the snow for five days. He credits a fast food restaurant with his survival. Jeremy Taylor was discovered with his dog, Ali, on Friday. He survived by eating taco sauce packets and starting his vehicle for warmth every so often. The 36-year-old had got out for gas last Sunday, but then became stuck. When he woke up in his car the next morning, there was even more snow, and then he couldn't get out. Central Oregon has been hammered by snowstorms in recent weeks. That message there is uh, Taylor's thank you 
you on social media uh, to his rescuers and also, of course, to Taco Bell for their sauce. In New Orleans, an impaired driver is suspected of killing two people and injuring seven others after a vehicle crashed last night on a busy roadway near the city's popular Mardi Gras parades. A 32-year-old man was arrested and now faces numerous charges. Police say most of the victims were on bikes. The crash scene spans three blocks and is close to one of the biggest parades of the Mardi Gras season. Local media report he refused to take a sobriety test and told officers that he had struggled with alcohol. He is the son of a New Orleans police officer. Now, it's one of the world's greatest aviation mysteries. Flight MH370, carrying 239 people on board, disappeared without trace en route from Kuala Lumpur to Beijing. Now, Malaysia's government says it will reconsider resuming the search as families mark five years since the plane disappeared. Flight MH370 disappeared from radar just 38 minutes after taking off from Kuala Lumpur en route to Beijing. The Boeing 777 with 239 people on board vanished without a trace. Today, their families demanded answers again. I can't help but wonder, where's my mother? Why did I have to travel all the way to Africa to look at beaches, to look for small pieces of debris? Why haven't we found the plane? And it invokes a lot of emotions and a lot of questions. Debris believed to be from MH370 has been found as far away as the Western Indian Ocean. Flap and wing fragments were displayed for the first time at today's commemoration event. But the plane's black boxes, which could hold vital clues for investigators, are still missing. There is no ongoing search, but the Malaysian government says it's open to resuming the hunt. The official search lasted two years and was called off in 2017. A second search led by U.S. technology firm Ocean Infinity also ended unsuccessfully. Our expectation is for the government to say, yes, let's start searching again. That's what we want to happen. Days before the fifth anniversary this Friday, families are still hoping that one day they will finally learn what brought flight MH370 down. Sarah Harmon, NBC News, London. There's now a permanent tribute to David Beckham in Los Angeles. The LA Galaxy unveiled a statue of the soccer superstar outside their stadium. Beckham joined the team in 2007. His move to California is widely credited for boosting the North American League's worldwide reputation. Welcome back. We've got an update now on an international battle for bragging rights between Canada and Norway that is going on. Uh, Moose Jaws Mac the Moose will soon reclaim the title of the world's biggest moose once new antlers are attached. So important. The iconic moose was dethroned four years ago by a rival uh, sculpture in a small Norwegian town. Now, the agreement was made at this weekend's International Moose Summit. It's all very serious. Moose Jaws mayor says he will recognize the Norwegian town's silvery moose, uh, the statue, as a, quote, pretty awesome looking moose. I was just saying, we've just been saying here, though, Yvonne, you know, we've got to have the better mooses. Yes. Yes. And now we're draining that title. So it's good. 
Exactly. All is well. This is the place. <laughs> yeah. No way. No way. All right, what's happening weather-wise? It was beautiful. Stunning today. Uh, both days out of the weekend, we've seen the sunshine. Here's a few shots of uh, photos that were submitted, so thank you so much for emailing them in. John this, took this photo at False Creek today, so sunny breaks overlooking the bridge. Aggie in Capilano Lake, seeing a beautiful shot of the mountains. And John, um, this was near Alexander Falls, which is also near Whistler, so a stunning shot of the mountains and what it looked like there today. Temperature-wise, uh, we are still sitting on the cool side, a shot overlooking English Bay right now. We're at one with a light northwesterly wind out of the airport, and that's sitting at 11 kilometers per hour. We bumped up closer to six and seven today, but still below the average for this time of the year that sits at nine. And the cold uh, conditions are going to continue all the way into early next week. Here's a look at the wind chill values and what it feels like right now, especially for the interior. The piece already at minus 18. Williams Lake at minus seven in areas near Cranbrook, feeling like minus 18. We've got cool Arctic air, a ridge of high pressure that'll continue to build over the next two to three days. And with it, we've got cool Arctic air and outflow winds right across the northern half of the province. Coastal sections will see the winds, wind chill minus 20 overnight and for the early morning hours. Areas near House Sound, we have a wind warning with the potential to see sustained winds at 60 and then gusts of up to 90 kilometers per hour. And that cool Arctic air also for areas near Whistler with an Arctic outflow warning. The wind chill dipping down down to minus 20 for the overnight. Here's a look at the upper level chart and what we're tracking. So we will still see that dip in temperatures all the way in towards our Tuesday and then a bit of a change on the way with the return for some moisture on our Wednesday. In many areas for the interior, we'll see the return for some snowfall. The piece with the risk of frostbite, so the wind chill dipping down into the minus 30s for the overnight, but sunny over the next three days. A lot of areas near Whitehorse into the minus 20s with a few clouds in the mix for tomorrow. Coastal sections will see windy conditions Temperatures will be bumping up to four. Once again, it's inland areas with the wind chill down to minus 20. Caribou and Central Interior, risk of frostbite. Wind chill will be dipping down to minus 30. Columbia and Kootenai region near minus 20. An increase in cloud cover on Wednesday, and we could see the return for some snowfall as early as the evening. And if you're traveling along the mountain passes, we're looking at snow for your Thursday. Tops in Okanagan, it continues to be windy. Northwesterly winds was sustained at 20 and gusts of up to 40 kilometers per hour and that wind chill near minus 20. Whistler will see similar temperatures overnight up to the freezing mark and then on Wednesday a chance for some flurries redevelops and along the island we'll see two more sunny days. Very chilly for the overnight lows and morning hours. Wednesday, Thursday right across the south coast metro Vancouver. A change is on the way. We could see the return for some shower activity in the early morning hours. A few isolated flurries but Monday, Tuesday great start to the work week. It'll be Wednesday, Thursday onwards. We'll start to see a bit more cloud cover, a chance of showers making a return. Tomorrow with the sunshine, Sonia, still getting up to six degrees. Back to you. Lovely. That's a great forecast. Thanks very much, Yvonne. Now, a major success for SpaceX as its new capsule docked at the International Space Station without a hitch. It means astronauts could be flying again from America as early as this summer. NBC's Kathy Park reports. Crew no longer sending commands, every dragon doing everything on its own. 250 miles above Earth, the first commercial spacecraft designed to carry humans hitting its mark. We have confirmation of a soft capture of the Dragon spacecraft to the International Space Station. Then, another dramatic moment. Astronauts on the ISS make their way into the unmanned vessel. There he is, David inside, inside of Dragon. Human beings inside the Dragon spacecraft. 
Floating inside, they met a mannequin passenger sitting in the corner, giving everyone back home a look at the spacecraft of the future. Welcome to the Crew Dragon. It all followed a spectacular launch from the Kennedy Space Center just 27 hours before. In live view of the Falcon 9 rocket as it ascends through the atmosphere. There's a lot riding on this six-day demo before the Dragon capsule heads home Friday. If all goes well, the next test will launch two astronauts as early as July. We may push a button or two to demonstrate that we have the capability to, to intervene if we need to, but uh, the vehicle is pretty much going to do the work uh, uh, autonomously just like it did today. Boeing isn't far behind with its own unmanned launch planned for next month as a new space race sets off. Kathy Park, NBC News, New York. All right, let's uh, get your sports fix in now and talk uh, Vegas and Canucks. Right. It's a you're, great combination. You like? You said you're a, you're a big fan of the uh, of the slot machines. You like those? I've it relaxes been, you. I've never been to Vegas. You played just in England. Yeah, just yeah, just just put, you know on odd or even or black or red. <laughs> Serious gambler, me. Yeah. Keep it simple. <laughs> All right, we'll keep that in mind. Thanks, Sonia. The uh, Canucks' chances of making the playoffs are pretty much over today in Vegas. They got an up close look at what it takes to be a playoff team in the West. The Golden Knights dominated this game from start to finish, smothering the undermanned and overmatched Canucks the entire 60 minutes in a 3-0 win that was only that close thanks to another stellar performance from Jacob Markstrom, who's been the Canucks' best player of the past 30 games as Elias Pettersson starts to fade a little bit, I think, long season. Canucks should have had energy today, two days between games, but hey, they were at the tables a bit too the last couple of nights. Canucks had a chance early. Nikolai Goldobin who's been much better the past five, six games, but Marc-Andre Fleury stops him in transition the other way. Markstrom makes one of his 16 saves. Scoreless after one, second period more. Markstrom magic, great save on the tip by Ryan Reeves. Markstrom reaching with the pad. 22 shots at that point, but the dam finally breaks. Max Pacioretty with the long one-timer past a screened Markstrom, one nothing Vegas. 21st of the year for Pacioretty. And then later in the period, Alder Grove's Shea Theodore with the shot stop. But Ryan Carpenter puts away the rebound. 2-0 Golden Knights and a tall order for Travis Green's team to come back from that. Brock Besser with a chance there on the deflection, but Flurry the save. Flurry certainly wasn't busy, but he was very good as usual. More from Markstrom denies John Merrill. Coming across beautifully, Markstrom playing the best of his career by a mile. But the shooting gallery was relentless. And late in the second, Riley Smith knocks it in. 3 nothing Vegas after two. They had 38 shots on goal after 40 minutes, including 22 in the second period alone. Third period, Markstrom again. Spectacular. It could have been seven or eight for Vegas today, if not for Markstrom. 45 saves. He was brilliant. Marc-Andre Fleury, just 18 saves. Barely worked up a sweat for his league-leading eighth Shout-out of the season, 3-0 the final. Canucks next game, home to the Leafs on Wednesday night, and it's a special early 6 o'clock start at Rogers. Well, a logjam starting to spread out a bit in the West. Realistically, four teams now going for the two wild cards. Colorado, one of them. Dallas and Minnesota in right now. Arizona, Colorado, one and two back, respectively. Abs in Anaheim, where Cam Fowler gave the Ducks a 2-0 lead, thanks to... Some friendly fire there, deflection off an avalanche and in. Third period, Colorado gets one back. Derek Broussard, recently acquired around the trade deadline, makes it 2-1. to one. And in the final seconds, Colorado wins the draw. They have a chance to tie, but Gabriel Landeskog is stopped by John Gibson. Abs are a funny team, very inconsistent, play great one night, not so much the next. 
2-1 loss against the Lowly Ducks, a costly loss for Colorado. Minnesota Wild starting in the night in the second wild card position. Quick turnaround back home tonight versus Nashville after playing and winning in Calgary last night. Pred strike first. Wayne Simmons acquired from Philly on deadline day. Power move. Puck goes to the former Canuck, Nick Bonino. 1-0 Nashville. Stays that way until late second. Eric Fair with the shot block. Races in on the breakaway and snaps it past UC Soros. 1-1. And then in the final minute of the second, Ryan Suter. Nice setup for Jason Zucker with the quick release. 2-1 wild. And that's where it stands right now in the third. And we'll show you the Jets and the Blue Jackets. Winnipeg leading the Central by a point over Nashville. Columbus in a wild card battle in the East. Second period tied at one. Blake Wheeler gives the Jets the lead. Deflecting in his 14th 2-1 Winnipeg. Now third period tied at two. Jets regain the lead and it's Wheeler. Almost an instant replay of the first one. Cruising through the slot. Deflects another pass. Bobrovsky 3-2 Jets. And then late Patrick Lyonet to Wheeler, and this ain't no deflection. This is a ripper, post and in, hat-trick goal for Wheeler, who had an empty netter for his fourth goal of the game, and the Jets take it 5-2. to two. Western Hockey League just finished up at the Langley Event Center. Bowen Byram, Mr. Overtime, his fifth OT winner of the season, leads the Western League. Byram's got 24 goals to lead all Western League defensemen. 5-4 the final. These two teams meet again Wednesday in Kamloops. Just two more weeks to go in the Western League regular season. Today in Vegas at the HSBC Rugby Sevens event, winning twice versus France and Wales to claim 13th place. They're hoping they can use those two wins to get on a roll next weekend at BC Place for the Canada Sevens. It's always an electric atmosphere and Canada has played its best in front of the home crowd. The USA beat Samoa to win the cup final tonight in Vegas. NBA tonight, Raptors in Detroit. Could be a first round playoff matchup. Toronto has 16 more wins than the Pistons. But Detroit won their only meeting earlier, and it was a close game again today. Reggie Jackson gives Detroit a two-point lead late. Raps chance to tie, 1-3, no good. Gasol, offensive rebound. Lowry, no good, but OG Ananobi with the putback. We need overtime. In OT, Kyle Lowry takes over. Scored the first seven points for Toronto, including this three. 35 for Lowry, a season-high Toronto at 107-102. But Detroit answers Reggie Jackson one more time for three, ties it at 107. Pistons took the lead with a couple of free throws, but Toronto a chance to tie. Lowry looking for the tie, drives the basket, but, but it uh, won't go, and the Raptors fall in Detroit 112-107 in overtime. Final round of the Honda Classic from Florida. 56-year-old VJ Singh trying to become the oldest winner ever on an official PGA tournament. Sam Snead has the record at 52 years, 10 months. VJ won back when the day began. This is for birdie at 11, and it is good. But VJ fell short as he finished in sixth place. His last win 11 years ago. Brooks Kepka won two majors last year, making a late run. This for birdie at 16, and Kepka posts eight under par, and he has got the lead. Ricky Fowler, though, is going to join him, putting from the fringe at 17 from 45 feet, and Ricky knocks it in. Also birdied 18, so he and Kepka tied at eight under. It looked like a playoff, but unheralded Keith Mitchell, never even won on the web.com tour. This birdie putt for the win, and... He's got it, his first career victory. Roger Sloan of Merritt and Nick Taylor of Abbotsford tied for 20th at even par. Adam Svensson of Surrey, 59th at plus three.
Day two action from the Briar in Brandon, Manitoba. Alberta's Kevin Cooey, seventh Briar appearance. He's won it three times. Taking on Ontario today, third and Cooey's final stone. Big weight. Spills all of the Ontario rocks in the house and it ends up stealing two to take a 4 nothing lead. And then in the eighth, Cooey will wrap things up. Open draw for two. Beats uh, Ontario 8-5. Alberta now 2-0. As is BC, Jim Cotter's Vernon Rink easily beat none of it. 10-4. BC has a tougher matchup tomorrow morning. They take on Brad Gushu's Canada Rink, the defending champs, tomorrow at 7 our time. EPL Sunday, Mo Salah and Liverpool need the full three points at Everton to jump back over Man City into top spot. Salah had some chances, but Everton keeper Jordan Pickford denies him there. Second half, another chance for Salah, but defender Michael Keane gets a foot in at the last moment. It ends nil-nil, so now Liverpool a point back of Man City. Nine matches to go in the season. It should be an epic finish. Also today, Chelsea visiting 19th place Fulham. Almost certainly Fulham will be relegated at season's end. Chelsea get the jump as expected. Gonzalo Higuain with the quick finish. 20 minutes in, 1-0 Chelsea. But Fulham respond. Short corner, Caleb Chambers bounces one in from close range. Shockingly, Fulham and Chelsea level at 1-1. It's probably Callum Chambers, not Callum. I'll say Callum. You'd say Callum? Probably. Celebration short-lived, though. Three minutes later, Edna Zard to Jorginho, who fires in the game winner, and Chelsea take it 2-1. They're in six, but they're just two points back of fourth place Man United, and Chelsea has a game in hand. And we'll take a look back at uh, last night's AAA Girls Provincial Basketball Final from the LEC. Number two, Walnut Grove of Lange taking on number one unbeaten Semiamu out of White Rock. Tavia Jowell had a big day for Walnut Grove. They had a big lead in the second quarter, but Semiamu roared back, going inside to their 6-3 center, Faith Dutt, who banks it in. Totems had the lead, and they put it away thanks to tournament MVP Deja Lee. Beautiful drive to the basket. Semiamu completes a perfect season, 72-61 over Walnut Grove in the final, much to the delight of their coach, the legendary Allison McNeil. Day to day, we always talk about success being better tomorrow than you, than you were today, and you know we want to try to get better, and that's what we talked a lot about. And um, I, don't, I don't know if you saw our shirts, but it just says sometimes you, sometimes me, always us, and um, and that's kind of what we we said. It's just going to be about us this year. Here's a look at your snow report for today. Whistler Blackcomb with a base of 245, Grouse 305, Cypress 306, and Sasquatch 248. Fernie with a base of 249, Manning Park 165, and Whitewater 240. Big White with four new centimeters, Silver Star with a base of 206, and Sun Peaks 173. Kicking Horse with a base of 171, Mount Washington 232, and Powder King 267. All right, before we go tonight, here's a little sign of just how cold it has gotten in parts of Canada. This winter, this is very funny. This is Johnny Scholes of Calgary who shot this video of his noodles frozen in midair. The levitating fork and noodles are literally frozen in place. This is a great video. Johnny <laughs> says it took about 10 uh, to 15 minutes for these boiling hot noodles. Apparently they were boiling hot uh, to freeze. Look at that. That's crazy. It's a great shot. It is. Wow.
That's great. That just looks a little bit eerie. The though, sauce would just know. bounce off those. And we'd, we'd so, but if it yeah. took about 10 to 15 minutes, did he stand there with a the fork for <laughs> like, he was like also cold. I think right? he'd just stick the fork in after. And then just pull his hand person. away. Like, <laughs> I don't know. We don't know. Or he's invisible. <laughs> That's also a, a very possible. All right. It's not as cold here, Avon, is it? No, mm. it'll still be cold into the beginning of the work week. Final look at your five-day forecast. Uh, oh, we're not going to get to it. But anyway, sunshine Monday, Tuesday. Noodles. And then Wednesday, <laughs> we can see a return for some showers. <laughs> Thanks very much for joining us. Good night. Good night. Good night. <laughs>